Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children 18 plus, you are tuned in to the Loan Officer Podcast with me, Dustin Owen, and my very special guest, all the way from Waterstone Mortgage's corporate office by way of Oklahoma, the COO, that's the Chief Operating Officer, Rich Tucker. Rich, welcome to the Loan Officer Podcast. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you for uh, agreeing to be here. You are in sunny Orlando. Yeah. You're attending the Florida Sales Rally, where we're going to have 50 of our best and brightest loan officers that represent the state of Florida. And you came down a day early so that you could just see us, right? That's absolutely do. I, I love being in front of a crowd and, and learning from what the, uh, the field does every day. It's the best way for me to take back changes. Well, we are happy to see you. Uh, you surprised us by getting here yesterday. I actually thought you were sliding in in the morning, uh, but you got here last night. You brought your AVP with you. So that's awesome to see Michelle as well. Yeah. And you and I were trying to do this particular episode a week ago in San Diego, but Correct. someone bailed on the trip. <laughs> yeah, that's the part of being a parent. I, I, have, yeah. I have two beautiful children and I had to be home. Um, and so I chose to be at my daughter's birthday. Oh, Lily's birthday. Yes, okay, my so, daughter turned six. Okay, so Lily turned six and that was more important than coming out and hanging out with us mortgage bankers in San Diego, seeing Pitbull on the USS Midway. I get it. <laughs> I've seen Lily, she's super cute. So no, uh, obviously you made the right decision. Yeah. Uh, one part of me was like, you know what? We have a lot of GD loans that we're trying to get through the pipeline. I, I was curious if you were throwing your underwriting uh, hat back on and you're trying to get some loan CTC'd. I did. I actually, did you really? I wasn't. I've actually underwritten, I think, 17 files this month. So. Holy cow. Yeah. How about that? Like how many, how many institutions and organizations have their COO saying, hey, look, if I have to get my hands dirty, I'm getting my hands dirty. Yeah, I, I, it's something that I don't ever want my team to feel that I'm not willing to dig into the dirt with them. It's so important to make sure that you're a part of the process instead of someone who just sits at a chair and makes decisions. Perfect. So this is what we're going to do for the audience. This, this is why I wanted to have you on the show. One, um, I think the world of you, like I've thoroughly enjoyed being able to work with you for the past three plus years, right? Like I, I do wholeheartedly tell people one of the best things that came uh, with uh, one of our additions from a sales side is, is they introduced us to this guy named Rich Tucker. Mm -hmm. And then someone saw his value and promoted him twice in like six months. And then eventually it was like, look, let's just make this guy our COO. Like at this <laughs> point, you know, F the beats, you know, it's like, <laughs> let's do this. Um, but yeah, like, I love your story. I love your journey, right? Everything from you're married to a realtor. That's right. right. So like when you talk to loan officers, you're like, listen guys, every night I gotta lay down in bed with this dude who sells a ton of homes. And I know what you go through because I go through it at home. Yeah, I have no safe space. You, you, you started in the industry as a loan officer. I did. I started, I was a project manager for an internet firm, rolled over and asked to be a, a loan originator. Um, my very first year, I did $20 million in production, not knowing if that was good or bad. Um, got <laughs> That's it. good, by the way. Yeah. If you're tuning in, that's good. Even in today's market, where like the average loan size is well over 200 grand. Do you remember what your average loan size was? Oh, probably in the 150s at yeah. that point. Yeah, because this yeah. is like, what, early 2000s, yeah. late 90s in Oklahoma? Mm -hmm. In Oklahoma, yeah. yeah. And I got in with a builder. They they believed me and believed in me. And I will tell you, it just took off from there. It's one of the best experiences I've ever had. So so you know, I know today your, your title is COO, mm -hmm. uh, but you started in sales, which I think is great because there's people who are tuning in and some of them have been newly licensed. Some of them have been in the business for, for just two years. Some are thinking about getting into the business. Like I talked to a listener uh, two days ago. He's currently in the Marine Corps. He currently has four years left 
in the Marine Corps, but he's already thinking, well, what do I want to do outside if I choose to do a civilian job? And he's really intrigued with what we do, yeah. right? So if if he is tuning in right now, like it, it's cool to hear, yeah, I may start as a loan officer, I may become a top producer, but you actually found your way from LO to underwriter. That's right. Okay. Yeah. You've closed some loans too, right? I have. Like I have. when when necessary, you jumped in and facilitated the function of a closer. Absolutely. Then you got into management, operations right. management, and now you you I mean, to be a COO at a mortgage company for for those tuning in, I mean, you have how many direct reports like report to you? Like what does that look like for someone who maybe doesn't know? You know, anywhere from 12 to 14 people report to me directly. Okay. Um, and then those 12 to 14 have yet have a team underneath them and potentially another team under them. So closing rolls up to you? Closing. Underwriting? Underwriting. Um, Post-closing? No. Disclosure desk? Disclosure desk. Um, condos? Condos. Um, and I have the information systems team. Encompass? Um, yes. Okay. Encompass. Um, Processing? Uh, corporate processing yep. Yep, comes my way as well as um, new construction. All right. Like new construction, like like our, uh, one-time closed one -time construction, lending, renovation lending. You got it. So at the end of the day, the buck stops there with you, Yep. with Rich Tucker. You got it. Awesome. And something else that I wanted to do while I had you on the show, we get these requests and people are like, hey, Dio, hey, JC, can you all do a show on self-employed income? Mm -hmm. And I know when I asked you that, you cringe like, oh, <laughs> but I am sure you'll graciously based on your experiences as a top producing LO, as an underwriter, as, as a COO, will you please at some point after we're done interviewing you and picking your brain about all of your successes and where you see the industry going, would you at least give us like 10 minutes of best practices for loan officers when dealing with self-employed borrowers as it pertains from the operational standpoint and an underwriter standpoint? Absolutely, would love to share my ideas. Okay, yeah. very cool. Because when, when we get that request, a lot of times I'm thinking, gosh, that's kind of like a training. And if that's a training, that's like a, it takes hours to prepare for it. I may need to put together an Excel spreadsheet for you, <laughs> at which point you may need to pay. Like at, <laughs> at which point we may need to like talk to this guy named John Coleman about getting a website together. Maybe that website would be called tloponline.com. And maybe TLOP Online could host some kind of webinar where we teach loan officers from an origination standpoint. But in the interim, you're the next best thing to about six hours of work. Okay, okay. got it. I love it. Um, I love it. But but you know, before we we get started, I, I would like to pick your brain a little bit about just your your journey. Something else that people don't know about you that I want them to know: you're a graduate of MBA's Future Leader Program. I am. I like am. like to me that speaks loudly because that tells me you're an advocate for my industry. Yeah. That means you care about what's going on. What, what have you appreciated about the mortgage industry and what has kept you in for the past going on 20 years? Uh, first and foremost, um, MBA is a champion for our industry, period. And I, what I wanted to be is a voice, a voice in my local community, a voice in our company to make sure that we understood the standards in which we should practice and, and have a voice in the change of what we want. There are so many regulations, are, are, we're highly regulated, and we wanna make sure that they are sound and solid um, um, changes that we're, we're making in the industry. That's why I want to be a part of MBA. And being a part of their future leaders taught me to think even further outside the box. I, I feel like I have the way to think outside the box. 
But that Future Leaders program really opens the door to a greater understanding um, because you're partnered with people all across the country to find out how they use their systems, their thought processes, their critical thinking paths to make sure that they can find success. And when you come together as a team, you present at the end of the Future Leaders and become um, a greater team. Um, my team just happened to win the year we did it. Well, congratulations. I actually had my Future Leaders um, application printed right now on my desk. It's like two thirds of the way filled out. I stopped where it says, you need a recommendation from your CEO. Mm. I was like, crap. I hope Jeff McGinnis does this for me. I no, think he might do it. Yeah. I think I think we can convince him. I you do. know what? I'm going to see Jeff at the same event that you're in town for tomorrow. Yeah. Maybe if I slide him a couple cocktails, <laughs> I slide him over the the application. Um, but let me ask you this: What early on in your career, when when you like most of us stumbled upon the mortgage industry, what was it early on that caught your attention? Um, ben Davis, who works with us, talks about getting bit by the bug. Mm -hmm. Like, do you have a, a certain defining moment where you're like, yeah, I like this? Yeah, I would. It was definitely during the origination um, piece of my career. Um, I joke to everybody that I actually went to the wrong interview and that's how I ended up in this industry. Um, but the first and foremost is probably the same story. I love helping people and I love the the view of, of looking at people when they actually get approved for a loan that they otherwise may not not have thought they could. That is a big piece of what we do. And that was the bug. And the next bug that got me to the next station was the change. Um, the mortgage industry is so embedded in how we used to do it. And it's wanting to bring that change and a better process, a better life for the people who do the work behind the scenes. That's what propelled me to keep going, is that there's got to be a better way, a better functionality, a better process that we can we can uh, implement across the country to help people buy homes. You know, it's funny you mentioned the word change. And I had two early thoughts when especially you said the change. First, shout out to my late great grandmother who used to call the change menopause. <laughs> so you're mentioning the change. I'm like, well, he's not talking about menopause, mm. but then when you mention the change, you, and, and, I, and you may have swiped and adapted this, but the, the, the fans, the T-loppers who tune into most of our episodes have heard me give you credit. When I, when I speak of Rich Tucker's who I'm talking about, nothing changes. If nothing changes. If nothing changes. That is on your office. Like okay. you walk into your office, that is a big, a sign. That's right. And, and and I love that because that is how I was introduced to you three years ago. But you're like, no, that's what got me excited about this industry. That's right. Right. Is that it was evolving, that it is changing and you can be a part of that change, hopefully for, for the better. That's right. Um, what going back, I'm going to stay on your early career for just a second or two. In your early career, do you, can you remember like the things that kept you up at night or can you can you recall the things that gave you anxiety um and, and if so because there's people who right now are early on in their careers and we had Aixa on um who who is a podcast listener and ended up coming to work with us at waterstone and and she talks about oh my gosh like my brain hurts going home and oh my gosh i thought i knew all of this because i took xenix or i i obtained my nmls license but um she's like i just feel like i had this like pent up like emotions that I can't let out, what were yours? And then what would you tell someone who is entering the industry right now? Like, how do I calm that? Um, my first one is the fear of failure. I didn't want to fail myself. I took a, I took a chance becoming, you know, a full commissioned individual. Um, and that was something new to me. I'd never, I'd never played that role. Uh, the fear of talking to a realtor, 
um, because you don't know what they're going to ask and you're, you think you have to know all of that. It's really about a relationship and building that relationship and being transparent and honest. I would tell you that's the first thing you have to tell realtors. They don't want to hear the bullshit. They want to hear the truth. Yes. If it can be done, you can get it done. If not, then just tell them so they can they want to fast no um, and so they can move on to, to another project. Um, the second thing was is underwriting. I was scared to death of underwriting. You know, I think I, I knew how to calculate income. I knew how to put together a good file, but just praying that it would come out with less conditions. And that kept me up at night, especially when you had a complex borrower, these huge tax returns that, that we're going to talk about later. That was something that worried me. I, I would stay up night after night going over them to make sure I didn't miss something. Who, who trained you? Like, how did you learn your guidelines? How did you learn how to calculate income? I had a phenomenal training process. Are you ready for this? I read the Fannie Mae selling guide. Whoa, novel concept. <laughs> like we can fast forward almost two decades later and that still works. Like I've talked about it. Like, hey guys, this thing called All Rigs. Yeah. Check it out. Go to your company's intranet. Mm -hmm. Like I know we have an intranet. It's called the PPG section, products, programs, and guidelines. You got it. Go into your pricing engines. Try to price that alone. If it, if it doesn't price, guess what? You probably can't do it, <laughs> that's so right? True. That, that's a good start. But if you price it out, you, most pricing engines, I know Optimal, Optimal Blue has this, yep. like you can price out a loan and then click a couple hyperlinks and it takes you into at least a short form of guides. That's right. So you're old fashioned, uh, you're, I, you're, you're old fashioned and you just said, you know what? I'm uh, I'm just gonna read the guides. Well, and, and asking questions about the guides. There's so many things that, especially as a new loan originator, you don't understand. You know, the, you don't understand the language um, or the why. Mm -hmm. Understanding the why is the big thing. Um, and everybody learns by a failure. Um, don't be afraid to fail, but make sure that when you're reading the guide that you're questioning what it means to you and your potential consumer. That's the number one thing. I, I couldn't agree like more. I mean, I, I'm spot on with you on that. So let's do this. Underwriting. You went from LO to underwriter. Yeah. Like in many, in many, people, many places, that's like, you know, Jekyll and Hyde. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. What, what, why underwriting? Um, first, um, I loved the ability to have that critical thinking path. Okay. I mean, truly, um, there is a LO functionality, which is the presentation of the file with you and your processor. The underwriting piece is the presentation to the investor. And I loved that piece because you could dive in and find out the why to yes there. And you know, my, my finding a way to yes mantra, it, it truly is that you understand how to sell the loan. And that's what got me excited and, and helping people understand that why. Uh, I want to come back to find a way to yes. Okay. Cause I want you to explain that. Um, I've swiped it and adapted it from you. Um, I've changed the way that I think because of conversations we had in the past about finding a way to yes. Great. But, um, you were you were talking about investors and it just reminded me of a conversation you and i had off camera where you were talking to one of our newer loan officers and they're like hey rich when can we do blah 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 hey rich when can we do blah 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 and then you and i were kind of chuckling off off camera and it's like look guys girls we and this goes for any lender not just rich tucker at waterstone mortgage but in, you you work at that mortgage company this is gonna be the same answer the minute an investor is willing to buy it we will do it. Exactly. Like, I think that's paramount for anyone to understand that in the mortgage industry, all we do are create widgets that other people have placed an order for. Right. So if someone placed an order for 1000 red hats, you don't make a green bonnet. <laughs> that's so true. You make a thousand red hats. That's right. You may even make a thousand and ten, hoping you can sell an extra 10. <laughs> that's true. Right. But you don't go make green bonnets. So I don't know if people really understand that component, the investor component. Right. What is Wall Street? What are the aggregators? What are the in true investors willing to purchase? If they're willing to purchase it, purchase it, we're willing to buy it. Now, 
You and I lived through 2007 and 2008. And unfortunately they were buying everything. Right. And I mean, they, they, they were, it was, it was like almost uh, watching the hunger games and it was the fashion of the, um, the capital, right? Like that was 2006 to 2005 that got us into some trouble. Right. Luckily, Dodd-Frank stepped in, CFPB stepped in, and now we're not like going real crazy with the products that we make, but um, I think it's just good for people to know. Now, back on to find a way to yes. Yeah. When you say find a way to yes, what does that mean to you? Uh, find a way to yes is a broad concept. Um, not everybody with a pulse gets a house. That's not what find a way to yes is. Um, yes might be waiting six months. Yes might be reorganizing the file to make sure it may, might have another program that's available to it. It's actually looking at the total picture and finding a way to yes for your consumer. Um, and you have to be willing to be a part of that yes, which means additional coaching to the borrower, a coaching to a processor to know how to get that done. There is a way to yes in every file. You just have to look for it. And sometimes it's just hard to see. Yeah, but I think it's, it's awesome for you in your position as a leader, not just at Waterstone Mortgage, but you're a leader in the in the industry, right? That was one of the biggest um, uh, proponents or, or functionalities of you going through the MBA's future leader program was right. was just that. And I, I'll just commend you. It's it's great to have someone in your position with that thought process, pushing it down to everyone else. You know, I'll speak of me as a loan officer, find a way to yes, meant I don't just tell someone with that 560 credit score, no, when I move on. Correct. I say, no, but if you do X, Y, and Z, and you get your credit score up to a 585 or up to a 640 or whatever it was that they needed based on their, their, their condition, their, their, and then from there, I changed my sales calls with realtors and builders. And I started presenting myself as, hey, I'm the loan officer who finds a way to yes. I love that. It may be yes, but, but it's gonna be a yes. You're gonna hear yes, and then I'm also gonna give you an action plan. Well, I just realized that's from the loan officer perspective. Part of my other hat as the COO is, is uh, workflows, finding a way to yes through the workflow. Okay. If we find a, a roadblock that we that we don't know how to overcome, it's finding a way to yes to get through that roadblock, um, whether it's technology-based, training-based, whatever it happens to be, to make sure that yes is easier to get to. Yes, it's easier to obtain through systems, through communication, and through um, what we do every day, which is opening the door. Speaking of technology, what technology excites you the most? When you start looking at, okay, we're at the end of 2021, we're going into 2022. Guys like you and I, I mean, I, your, your kids are, are young, right? so I'm assuming you're working for at least through 2030. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got college and weddings and oh, everything sure. else to start thinking about. Mm -hmm. um, out of curiosity, you were a a championship level i'm gonna i'm gonna throw, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do a little rich tucker <laughs> trivia for you sure uh like i'm in the presence of of a of a championship caliber roller skater yep right you're a performance artistic roller skater growing up i was is that I what was, you call it roller skater it's not ice skating nope it's artist, roller art everything you see on ice we did on on roller skates on wheels yep and you had four wheels quads. not quads not in line correct and then that was your first job out of college was you coached, coached. others mm -hmm. and you coached, you coached how many national champions? Four. I had four, four national champions. How cool is that? Yeah. Individual or, or a couple? Uh, both. Both. Mm -hmm. Is it called couple? What's that called when it's two people? It, it's couples. Katie. It's couples. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. But what was your specialty? My personal specialty was school figures. I mean, that's really what I love to do. The concentration, the edge, the, the uh, perception of what you can do on one skate. Um, there's so many things that you can do. So is that just going in a really tight circle a lot mm -hmm. without getting dizzy? Yeah. 
I mean, there are things, it's called circle eight or serpentine, um, loop, brackets, counters. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah, I, I just appreciated like, you know, if I didn't fall down or like when it was couple skate and I had that girl I had a crush on, I could slide up next to her and try to hold her hand. And then like she she tried to pull away from me and we both fell. Yeah, yeah really embarrassing. That was sixth grade skate night. Are you trying to skate backwards with one foot and can never turn around? Yeah, skate backwards? <laughs> what? Yeah, I did that once, not on purpose though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Here's a skating term for it, shoot the duck. Okay. Yeah, that's where you put your leg out and bend down and it's always in front of you. Yeah. yeah. I, see, I bet you could do that. I know that wasn't your forte, but like I did, I used to love like the guys. Usually there's like two or three really cool dudes that they'd play the good music, like Jam Pony would come on <laughs> and you'd see them, the lights are going. It's, it's yeah. Yeah. Um, Total rabbit hole here, guys and girls. I so apologize. <laughs> Total rabbit hole. So sorry to the listeners. Um, yes. Where were we? We were we were talking about find a way to yes. Technology is what I was asking you about. Yeah. What is some technology? Because I know tech is, I mean, you, besides coaching national champion roller skaters, your first real, real job, like corporate job. Was a project what, manager. Was a project manager for a tech company, right. which is how you became an LO. Right. And, and I, because I know you personally, I know that you're on the forefront of technology and you really want to embrace technology as it pertains to the future of the industry. And we've done many episodes about like, hey, will, will robots take your job? And for some people, yeah, maybe. For others, nope, it'll just make your job different. But on, on for you, what is what technology excites you? Um, there's so many out there that excite me anymore. I mean, RPA. Um, you know, uh, robotic process automation, you know, everyone talks about the efficiency and it's really about how we utilize RPA to become a part of our program so that we can get things done more efficiently. That word efficient is overused because um, every time you build an efficiency, you build another inefficiency because someone doesn't, doesn't like what the bot may do. So that's one of the things that keeps me up at night in terms of how I can get us to that, that true digital mortgage experience. Okay. That's really what it is. Awesome. Blockchain, that's just, you know, it's a big thing for everybody. You know, anything that deals with putting things in the system where we can do it ourselves and not have to have a human intervention, that's that excites me. Not because I want to um, take people's jobs away from them. I want to give them a job with more analytical skills versus a button pushing skill. Yeah, that's no, great answer. Yeah. Great answer. Great answer. <laughs> Woo. Well, Family feud. Great answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, number one on the board. No, number, no, one. No, <laughs> number one on the board. That's right. All right. Let's do this. We tease it enough. And and uh, you and I can sit here and do this for hours, but you know, our listeners start to tune us out somewhere around the 37 minute mark is what John Coleman tells me. <laughs> In some episodes, we blow right past 37 minutes. Self-employed income. Gotcha. Okay. We teased it enough. Self-employed mm -hmm. income. You, COO, take that hat off and just throw it to the side. Gotcha. I want you to knock, knock, knock down a few years back when you were underwriting or even a few years back when you were originating, when you start looking at a self-employed borrower, but you know, don't forget all of your experience. What are some tips, tricks, and tactics that you can pass along to the viewers or the listeners, by the way, viewing, if you're on YouTube, listening, if you're on Spotify, Apple play, uh, um, Apple wait, app, Google play, Spotify, or, um, Apple Podcasts. There we go. We're even on Stitcher. Oh, wow. And if you are into the whole social media thing, like TikTok, yep, we're there. Facebook, we're there. LinkedIn, yep, we have actually have our own LinkedIn page. Like I'm Dustin on LinkedIn, but I, we have a LinkedIn page. Uh, and we're on Instagram. Everything is at the Loan Officer Podcast. I love it. Yeah, that's for anyone who's made it this far. Mm -hmm. And while I'm at it, look, like us, share us, comment. We love your comments on YouTube. We try to reply to as many as possible. Subscribe if you're on YouTube, thumbs up, share, all that good stuff. Absolutely. All right, business out of the way. <laughs> business for a hobby. You know, this is a hobby. 
Yeah. Yeah. A hobby is something that costs you money, but you do it because it's a hell of a lot of fun. That's right. Yeah. So it helps drive the passion. Yep. So, so this is, this is my hobby and I would like people to, to help me participate in it and they can only do so if they continue to tune in and tell their friends to tune in. Sure. All right. On that note, where, where would you like to start trying to help our listeners better understand how to work with a borrower who is self-employed? Well, the first tip is not a hard one. Um, when you're looking at someone that's self-employed, the first thing you have to do is actually get the tax return and get the complete return. You know, we in underwriting are not going to look at it if there are pages missing. So I, I, it's something simple, but it's needed, mm -hmm. you know, and you have to understand what you're looking at. Second easy tip is what AUS system are you running it through? Um, Fannie and Freddie have different rules when it comes to AUS. And instead of turning over a file and just saying, well, here's two years, Freddie may give you one, Fannie may give you two really take the time to look at what you're inputting. Would your advice be to people like, obviously you have to have that integrity. So obviously Absolutely. your first point of, of advice was the first thing before you do anything. And I'll tell you this from my experience as an LO, get all of the information first. Don't right. answer questions. Don't go ask your underwriter questions, your processor questions, have your borrower submit all the documents you need. And then once you've calculated that income, run it through would, could I tell them both AUSs? Sure. Run absolutely. it through a, DU and LPA. Please. Because one may ask you for two years. One may ask you for one. And one may ask you for one. That's right. Okay. Um, but before I could input it in, into AUS, I needed to make sure I have that integrity, which means I need to make sure that I have the right income. Right. Where do I go to make sure that I know how to calculate self-employed income properly? Well, if you're green, if you're absolutely green off, off of not even understanding self-employment, there is free training all over the place. Your mortgage insurance companies give this to you at any at no cost. It's available to you. I urge you to take it and, and retake it and then take it again and then take it again because it will start to click in what you're doing. So by mortgage insurance companies, you mean MGIC, Arch, Ascent, yep, they have. Um, Enact, which used to be called Genworth, Correct. Uh, Radian, I think I named them all nation, nationwide. No, nationwide. Is nations. Right? Nations. Yes. Mm. Yep. Yeah. National. 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 I'm sorry. Oh my God. Yeah, sorry. Milan is going to yeah. absolutely just, <laughs> just gonna he's going to DDT me next <laughs> That's time right. I see That's right. him. That's right. Uh, total brain fart on that yeah. one. Shout yeah. out to my friends over at National MI. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's like six major MI companies and every MI company offers self-employed income calculation training. Right. And don't want to run into your parade here, Rich. They may even have worksheets. Yeah, can you believe it? They have a piece of paper where you can actually put in the data to get the end result, and that's what you're trying to get to. Yep. And some of them help you out and actually tell you which box to look in or what line to look on, so you can actually put it in and make sure it's successfully calculating. You know, it's so funny. You remind me of I was interviewing a, a younger LO, a younger in his career, um, and he's like, "Oh yeah, oh it's a processor. Oh yeah, I calculate self-employed income." So I started asking him questions about calculating self-employed income. No, no, no. What I realized, and this is probably to your point with like your, your excitement about technology taking away the minutia right. and allowing people to focus more on like using their brain. No, all this young professional ever did was read box three on the tax return, goes in box four on the worksheet. Box 17 goes on box five, and at the very end, it would spit out a number. Yeah. But he didn't know what he was doing. He just knew how to follow directions. That's right. Well, Lily, at six years old, knows how to follow directions. Yep. I'm pretty sure we could tell her, move, move that number in seven over to 10 and keep on doing it until you get this highlighted area filled out. That's right. Yeah. 
So hopefully these trainings that are offered, they, they don't teach you just move it from a box. They'll offer you tools. Correct. But but you need to learn, well, what does it mean? You mentioned earlier the why. The why, you have well, to understand the why. The why. why. Why do I have to double my meals and, and entertainment deduction? Right. Why can I add back in depreciation? What does depreciation mean? What's other income? What is other income? What mm -hmm. is this dividend interest? Right. Why is this a negative? What do you mean I can't gross up my Social Security? Yeah. I mean, you're that's part of the, the success of self-employment. Um, Schedule C is probably the easiest to okay. do when it comes to, to self-employment analysis because it's usually a page mm -hmm. on the return. It's usually simplified for you. In fact, um, any of my company, your your own company, uh, like Waterstone has their proprietary, uh, proprietary income worksheets, use those because they're there to help you. Um, Schedule C is simple. It should be for everyone. Um, when you get into 1120Ss, that's when you get start getting more involved. And I would say take the time to understand the line items that you're reading. You know, like we just mentioned other income. You really need to understand what's in that other income. You know, um, is it recurring or not recurring? You gotta know that. Um, because if you're trying to count it as income, it's gotta continually be recurring. And 1120S is a uh, business tax business return for someone who has a S-Corp. Right. Right, and typically right. with an S-Corp, you're gonna have a W-2 and a K-1. Right. Not all the time. You may just have a W-2. You may just have a K-1. But many people who are operated are operating their business through an S-Corp, they may give themselves a W-2 of $60,000 plus have a K-1 of $100,000. Right. One would hope and imagine you add 60 plus 100 and they make 160, but it's not that easy. It's never that simple. It's never that simple. And we've also had people who they show a W-2 of $60,000, but a K-1 of negative 100. And it's like, no, homegirl, you don't qualify. <laughs> but I W-2 $60,000. It's like, no, you W-2 yourself 60, but you still show a loss of 100. So you're like w way losing money. That's right. On paper. Again, that's the why. Okay. What industry are they in? What's what's causing it? How can we add back things? What are you looking for to add back? And as a loan originator, it's your job to ask that question. How to get to yes from a, a consumer that's self-employed is to understand what they do. Um, you know, um, year-to-date P&Ls. It's a huge thing that we have to have in today's. Um, so P&L is a profit and loss yeah, statement. Absolutely, yep. a profit and loss. And what we're looking for is where are they at year-to-date? Um, how much how much money are what's their gross sales? What's their expenses? Does it make sense? Is it is it um, the same as it was last year? If not, why? It's digging into those questions. If there's W two income in there, let me t let me see where it is in the expense. If it's an audited P and L or an audited profit and loss, you're doing much better than someone who just hand wrote one. Yeah. So um, I'm gonna dumb it down a little bit. Okay. Take it back to the basics. So essentially, newer people or people who just don't deal with income calculations or people who don't necessarily deal with a lot of self-employed borrowers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when we're dealing with someone like a teacher and an engineer, well, we get W-2s and we get most recent pay stub and it's easy peasy mac and cheesy. Sure. But when we're in October, almost November, and we're trying to underwrite someone who's owned their business for the past five years, just looking at what they earned in 2019 and 2020 isn't good enough. But they don't necessarily have a pay stub. And if they do have a pay stub, it doesn't really, it's not indicative right. the way it is for a teacher or an engineer. So we have to, as lenders, we have to get an, a profit and loss statement. Right. That basically just shows us how much money are they bringing in, what are their expenses, and what is their net. Absolutely. And you as an underwriter, you're you're looking at their current expenses and comparing it to, well, what were their expenses in 2019? You're looking at their current income. What was their, their and by income, I mean gross revenue, not, not necessarily the Correct. money they're making. Sure. Well, how does that compare? And then from there, you're having to make a credit decision 
while following the various um, guidelines that are that are allowed when it comes to calculating self-employed income. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And as a newbie, for me to learn this, besides, I'm, I'm going to tell you, as a as a loan officer, you just got to do it. You just got to do it. You gotta you gotta you gotta lock yourself in that office one night. You gotta have tears rolling down your eyes. <laughs> you gotta have your shirt untucked, yep. right? You, you, your spouse may have called you and you may have chewed them out when all they were trying to do is say, hey, are you coming home for dinner? That's right. And you just lost your shit on them. Like you just have to go through that, not once, not twice, but probably five or 10 times. And I promise you, you'll get better. But to get to that point, you need to take some classes. So let me let me tell you one, one caveat that I had when I was a young LO. Um, I had a, a self-employed borrower come through the door and I tried to act like I knew what I was doing. Okay. I had no clue. Um, Fake it till you make it, that's Rich. That's right. Yeah. I, I knew 1040 and that was about it. Um, and then what I did after the client left is I went and asked my processor, have we seen something like this? I didn't ask her to do the work. I just said, have we, do we have a file like this? She handed me a closed file in which I could do some comparison learning. Um, and so if you have the ability to look at another file or if someone's willing to share their file with you, you can actually walk down and, and start saying, this is how we got to the, to the bottom line. This is why we started doing that. So you can at least see the formatting of, why, of where you're putting information and then the potential outcome. A, a file that's already closed, successfully closed and approved and, and, and been sold and purchased, you know, that's the best way to learn because you already know it has success in it. Um, and, and it's easy. It's at your fingertips if someone will let you do it. Great suggestion. Like way to be resourceful. Yeah. Like that, that is being resourceful, which is one of my favorite R words when I'm talking about this industry or just being successful in general, especially anyone who's in an entrepreneurial type environment. It's like, no, you sure. have to be resourceful. Um, we're running a little bit uh, short on time. Okay. So any other tips, like, like just imagine you're talking to loan officers that at one point in your life, you may have to lead. Mm -hmm. Right. What do you want them to know about dealing with self-employed borrowers? Any pitfalls to avoid um, any recommendations for, for, for how to navigate the waters, how to better talk to the to their underwriters? Um, I think first and foremost, again, getting the full return. Second is uh, know the product you're selling for that self-employed borrower. Prime example, FHA, if you have uh, income that is declining more than 20%, it's downgraded to a manual underwrite right off the bat. doesn't even matter what the Ooh, U.S. Say says. that again because it's important. So if you have um, declining income of greater than 20% So on FHA, I'm making less money mm -hmm. through the first 10 months of this year than I did last year, and that difference, that delta, is 20% or greater. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what AUS says. FHA says it's time to downgrade. Okay. Yeah, I need to know that. It's a manual downgrade. Okay. And those are the things you need to be looking out for. And again, trying to explain the industry that the self-employed borrower is in doesn't make logical sense for what they just went through. We just went through a pandemic, um, affected so many industries across the, the country. Doesn't make sense of where they should be today. Um, tell the story. That's what I would tell every loan officer. Don't be afraid to tell the story. We need the story to find a way to get us. Yep. Uh, Melissa Ferentz, who works uh, under you, yeah. for you, with us. Yeah, alongside. Alongside. There That's we right. go. Yep, yep. We're uh, she's in that little sidecar. We're heading to Sturgis. You're you're on the bike. She's in the sidecar, <laughs> and I'm on the back. Woo! Can you imagine that? It'd be crazy. 
<laughs> what a crazy You're going to get me up to Sturgis. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa's DJing. She has that EDC music That's going. That's so true. That's so true. <laughs> but, um, but no, but something that she has always taught us and has shared with our loan officers. And by the way, I had her on like a year ago. It's a really good episode. Yeah. And because how many times do you get to sit down with an underwriter and pick their brain? But she's like, look, draw me a roadmap. She's like, if you draw me a roadmap, I will stay between the lines that, that you that, that you drew and you can lead me to the yes. That's right. She's like, but if you don't draw a roadmap, I may go off course 17 times and you might not like 16 of those off-road excursions that I go on. Right. And you're saying the same thing. Like, tell me the story of your borrowers. And tell the story. Not okay. tell versions of the story. Yeah. <laughs> Underwriters become very skeptical when the story changes. Um, so get the full story and tell the story the first time. Yeah, the first time in full the right way the right way yeah not just the one thing that you want the underwriter to see yeah uh because it does you no good by the way it doesn't it gives you a false positive or sometimes a false negative that's right like if, if you don't tell the full story you may very well bite yourself in the butt because you got to know when really it should have been a yes or the worst part is you get a yes and then 45 days later, when the file has has gone under contract, they finally uh, submitted a loan application, locked in, disclosed. It goes to get underwritten, and they're like, this isn't what we talked about. Well, you told me. They're like, yeah, but you didn't tell me X, Y, or Z. That's right. That's worse. Story changes. Yes. Yeah. Nothing changes if nothing changes in that that <laughs> mind. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. But no, when it comes to self-employed, it's, look, I, I will look at finding a course Right, whether we create it, whether I, I partner with a, a company like um, Knowledge Coop mm -hmm. and have them provide it, or I partner with one of our mortgage insurance companies and have them provide it. it. It truly is something that you helped me with today's episode re remember. You just got to do it. Right. You just got to get your hands dirty. You, you have to be able to tell someone yes, we work with self employed borrowers. Yes, your file is paperwork intensive. Here's what I need to do I need you to give me all of the information and give me a day, give me 24 hours, because I'm gonna have to sit down, possibly even grab someone who's more senior, more experienced than me, and I'm gonna have to go through this. Yep. And do it, get good at it, do it, get better at it, do it again, and get great at it. Yeah, the best thing I can tell you is for the listeners to change their vocabulary, it's not training, it's investing. You're investing in your own self to become the person you wanna be, the salesperson. If that's what you wanna be, the best salesperson, it's an investment and investment equals education. Education equals success. So find a way to invest. On that note, we're out of here. <laughs> Rich Tucker, thank you so much for taking the time to be a guest on the Loan Officer Podcast. He's Rich Tucker. He's the CEO of Waterstone Mortgage. He's also one hell of a roller skater. I'm Dustin Owen, affectionately known as Dio. You can find us on this channel twice a week, every week, on every social media not named Pinterest. That is all the time we have for you today, but we will look forward to catching you on the next episode. Peace.